Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA midseason power rankings, and we're going to talk about our top 10 power rankings, and then we're going to move on to some of our midseason NBA awards predictions for the MVP, the Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and Most Improved Player. So let's start. Let's start with the midseason power rankings and go over our top ten. Jalen, who are who are your top ten teams that are in your midseason power rankings? So we're gonna start at number ten and go up on this one. So I'm gonna start with the Boston Celtics at number ten, the Portland Trailblazers at number nine, the Denver Nuggets at number eight, the LA Clippers at number seven, the Los Angeles Lakers at number six. The Milwaukee Bucks at number five, the Phoenix Suns at number four, the Philadelphia 76ers at number three, the Utah Jazz at number two, and the cap off the list at the top of the totem pole is the Brooklyn Nets at number one. All right, so for my list, number 10, the Golden State Warriors, number nine, the Dallas Mavericks, number eight, the Portland Trailblazers, number seven, the Milwaukee Bucks. Number six, the Denver Nuggets. Number five, the Los Angeles Lakers. Number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. Number three, the the Phoenix Suns. Number two, the Utah Jazz. And number one, the Brooklyn Nets. Interesting, interesting. So we have a lot of ways that we can go with this one. I think the first thing is, Ryan, let's talk about the Warriors, man. This one's interesting. You know, we talked a lot about the Boston Celtics. There's a lot of slander in that first episode talking about their bench and stuff. So I can completely understand already where you're coming from in terms of the Boston Celtics performance this year, what you think they're going to need to do prior to the trade deadline to sure up that bench. But the Golden State Warriors in the first half of the season, why do you have them in your top 10 power rankings considering that they're a team that's just teetering in the playoff picture for the Western Conference so far this season? Well, Golden State is a team that's been consistently great in great late in the season. I I would trust Golden State late in the season to make a, a late season push, especially when you have the greatest shooter of all time is Steph Curry. Um <laughs> He, he's mainly been doing most of the scoring for this team too. I know him and James Wiseman, the, who's been one of the best rookies coming out of this 2020 class, Draymond Green, who we've, we've seen become the same player that he was early in the championship teams for Golden State um, in 2015, 2017, 2018. He's, he's becoming that same player again. I think Golden State has a chance to make some moves in the trade deadline. I think that this team has the capability to get better, but I think it's I think it'll be interesting to see what they do at the trade deadline in order for this team to really move up in the Western Conference standings. Yeah, I think Golden State is mad interesting because of the fact that they're a team that started out so bad. So bad to start off the year. Kelly Oubre couldn't hit a three to save his life. There was a situation where everybody was kind of viewing Andrew Wiggins as like a guy who could not be a legitimate second option for their team. And they were starting to be comparisons to the fact that they thought that maybe there was no winner in that trade between Golden State and uh, and, uh, Minnesota when they traded uh, for D'Angelo Russell. Now, 
I mean, Golden State looks like the biggest winner by far. Like, I mean, it's crazy how much they've improved. Um, haven't seen nearly as much of James Wiseman as we probably would have liked this far in the year, especially with him going down due to injury a little while ago. But, you know, they – They've been a really interesting team. I don't know if I could put them in my top 10 out of the fact that they've just been – they've been a team that's had to gradually get better. Now, I think that the interesting thing about the second half of the season is if this is their their motion in terms of trying to reach a crescendo, then this is the perfect time for them to be able to make a couple plays at the trade deadline. I think they actually have like a trade exception clause that I'll, that should be able to help them with being able to acquire maybe – a certain talent or two here to help in their uh, the scoring department and give Curry another offensive weapon next to him. I think if they make a really good play at maybe just some solid pieces or maybe a solid piece here or there at the trade deadline or in the buyout market, I mean, it's hard to argue that Golden State couldn't have a really solid second half of the year. I don't know if they're a top team in the um, in the uh, overall in the NBA right now, but. I can't blame you for putting them in there because they are a team that with a single piece or two next to Curry as legitimate offensive options, they're already a playoff team. So they make any other additions via buyout or via the trade market. I mean, this could be a top five Western Conference team by the end of the month. So hard to argue against the uh, the Curry-led Warriors with the way that they're playing so far. I want to look at another team that you put in your top 10. You put, you put the Boston Celtics in your top 10. And mm-hmm. I know, I know last episode, I really, I, I did not, um, I did not expect this team to be a strong team in the second half of the season. I think that their bench is not going to produce as much as we think they will. I think their bench might actually hurt because they don't really have a true, or they don't have a true bench leader they don't have a true uh guy to rely on, on on the bench in terms of scoring production Peyton Pritchard's been that guy but he's been starting for Kemba Walker because Kemba's been out so why do you believe Boston is a top 10 team well I mean because they've been able to stir water while Marcus Smart has been injured while losing Gordon Hayward in the offseason while losing Kemba Kemba Walker for like the, the majority of the first half of the season, they lost Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, who was playing really good minutes for them in place of Jace, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, making up minutes that Jeff Teague wasn't really providing. The fact that they have two all-star caliber player players on their team, really three if you count Kemba when healthy, then you factor in the, 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 the fact that they're able to add a guy like Marcus Smart back to the roster who I feel like is their legit glue guy. I think Marcus Smart almost – Marcus Smart is almost as impactful for this Boston Celtics team as Kemba Walker is in a lot of different ways, starting with his ability to be a glue guy that brings the team together. There's also certain plus-minus stats out there that actually makes it seem as though Kemba Walker is not as good of a point guard in comparison to Marcus Smart for this team. I don't necessarily know if I believe all of that nonsense because I think that Kemba Walker does make – Boston a better team than what Marcus Smart makes them if he were the lead point guard but Marcus Smart does give them some really solid minutes he is an all NBA defender on their team that gives them a lot of versatility against a lot of the better guards in the conference and in the NBA in general so I think when you factor in you get Jalen Brown first time all-star gets a little bit of his swag in Jason Tatum second time all-star 
gets to come in next to his bro as two as as two all-star caliber players looking to make a legit playoff push. You get Kimball Walker for majority, if not all, of the second half of the season, something they couldn't say about the first half of the year. They get Marcus Smart back, who is a guy that they've desperately missed. And maybe they experiment with their big man lineup and give that man Robert Williams more time at the center spot. I think that could be something that does wonders for them if they do that. So I think they have the chance to make a lot of adjustments while getting a lot of guys in their groove, something they couldn't do in the first half of the year. That'll help them bounce back. So that's what I think about them. I think your bench points that you made on the last episode when we were talking about a lot of the circumstances moving towards the playoffs and we were talking about the seeding, I think your bench statement about them having a very, very lackluster bench across the board from guys like Jeff Teague, um, Thompson, it's a lot of guys who just don't play minutes. Like you said beforehand, there's a lot of guys from older draft classes like Romeo Langford, who we just have not seen really at all due to injury, but also just, you know, overall Aaron Neesmith is a guy who slowly came in, but like hasn't really given them a ton this season. It's hard to argue against the bench statement, but they do have a lot of other things that are in their favor. And I think when you have two all-stars with three all-star caliber guys on the roster, it's hard not to put them in the top 10 when they're doing what they're doing while dealing with some of the situations they have going on beyond the scenes with injuries and things like that. So here's what I will say. I will say that uh, Jalen Brown is going to have a huge second half of the season. Now I think this second half of the season is going to be huge for him because it's going to be the chance for him to make his MVP case. I think he has that capability of being, in the MVP conversation. And it's actually going to be interesting to see how he finishes out the season, how he uh, finishes, how he plays in the playoffs. Um, I think that Boston or any team could give him the reins of their team. I think he can get the keys to the offense or he can get the keys to this team quickly. And I think that he's been the guy who, in the absence of Kemba Walker, in the absence of Jalen, uh, Jason Tatum, in the absence of um, Marcus Smart, this is a guy who has stepped up huge for this team when they needed him most. I think to the point about you know the rookies and the soft and the uh, the sophomore players on this team who really haven't stepped up. I mean, the fact is they haven't stepped up. Aaron Neesmith, the 13th overall pick in, or the uh, 14th overall pick in the NBA draft this year was a guy who we expected to be a highly touted three, or who was a highly touted uh, three and D wing coming out of the draft. And this is a guy who has not played to that potential. I know he's a rookie and he's trying to get his, his feet wet in the NBA, but this is a guy who we expected was going to be one of their key offensive pieces this year. He was also going to be a key defensive anchor for this team, something that Boston could use as well. But the other thing, and I'll touch on that again, is that they don't have enough experience and production on the bench. JJ Redick, I've you you said would be the best, or I said would be the best fit for, for Boston. You said he'd be the best fit for Philadelphia. I think either way, JJ Redick gives you something that Boston doesn't have right now. And that's experience and production coming off the bench. I think that right now, um, Carson Edwards and Tremont Waters and Taco Fall are three of the guys that that aren't giving you that right now. Um, I would say Jeff Teague is a guy that you've criticized because you, you felt that he was going to be the guy, the veteran presence on the bench that Boston needed. 
and he, he would have given experience. Uh, he would have given experience. He would have given production coming off the bench. He has done neither of those things. And the fact of the matter is that because Boston doesn't have experience in production off the bench, this team is not going to go far in this in late in the season and in the playoffs. I think I think it's just going to come down to the the only consistent thing that this team has going for them, which is Jalen Brown. I think it's all fair. I think um, when we talk about that, I think a good team to transition to. We can transition to the top of the standings a little bit. We both have the Brooklyn Nets at the very top and. You want to talk about consistency. Um, they've been consistently good, but not with the consistent lineups they were probably hoping for. KD's been out for a little while. He's a guy who's due to play a couple of minutes, um, play in a couple of games soon, hopefully to get his feet back uh, wet and kind of, you know, shake off some of that, some of that rust that might be building up from the fact that he hasn't played for a little while. But James Harden and Kyrie Irving have held down the four alongside guys like Joe Harris, who's played really good minutes for them. They just signed Blake Griffin. So this is a team that might be very active in the buyout market. Um, Andre Drummond has been affiliated with this team a lot. Hassan Whiteside has been affiliated with this team a lot. JaVale McGee. This is definitely a hot spot for guys who are going to be on the buyout market, as well as maybe a couple of trade chips here and there. Um. Ryan, let's start with this. First off, what is your overall take on them acquiring Blake Griffin? I, I think we may have talked about it very briefly when we were talking about the Brooklyn Nets in our previous episode. But what exactly do you think Blake Griffin provides for this team, though? Because for me, it was a really interesting signing considering that they need defense. I do think that they need a little bit more ball facilitation, and that's definitely where Blake Griffin comes in. But they need defense more than anything, and Blake Griffin is not about to be some all-NBA defender anytime soon. So how, how do you feel about the signing from the standpoint that they didn't – they might have addressed a position of need, but not a skill set that they might be looking for? Or at least that should be – that I feel and most people feel should be on the top of their list of things they should be looking for in a player that they add to their roster nowadays. So – that this is interesting because I don't know what he's going to do for this team. Um, I thought the signing was interesting. I think it was maybe, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's a ring chasing uh, signing, but I would, I would think, you know, he, he wants to win a championship. Um, this, this is interesting because I don't know what he's going to do for this team. I, I mentioned on the last episode, you know, he's, he's, He's a top 15 player when he's healthy and they have four top 15 players in the NBA when they're healthy. So maybe that's beneficial, but I think it's, it's interesting to just think about where he's going to be placed in the lineup. I mean, as of right now, I mean, I guess, I guess Joe Harris is a starting small forward. He might be coming off the bench, especially with this type of a lineup. If Blake Griffin ends up starting, it would be Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, uh, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, which would be an interesting lineup considering it's a mixture of, you know, the Brooklyn big three and then the Lob City Clippers. But I don't know what he's going to do for this team. I think, you know, scoring, yes, he will provide that. Um, he's one of the more athletic big men that they have as well. Um, 
but there's there's a chance he comes off the bench. Now, what does he what does he do coming off the bench? That's what what I think is better maybe for him to come off the bench. Um, considering that the second unit for the Brooklyn Nets is this is a unit that could use experience. I think that Blake Griffin is a guy that yes, you can bring him off the bench. I don't know if it would be the smartest idea, but this is a guy, if you pair him up with a young Nicholas Claxton, I think that that would be interesting to see for Brooklyn in the second half of the season. I think that, you know, when you have Landry Shamet coming off the bench as well, you're, you're providing more experience and production, something that I mentioned with Boston. I think two of the things that an NBA bench needs in order to win a lot of these games. But I think that with Blake Griffin, I don't really know what, what the plan is. And that, that's what I'll be interested to see going forward. I mean, I think the biggest plan is the fact that when Jeff Green has started, he's played 26 minutes per game. And when Jeff Green is coming off the bench, he's playing 21 minutes per game. I don't know if you want Jeff Green doing either one of those things. Um, And that's one of those things that I think comes to mind. I think the bigger thing that stands out to me is the fact that Blake Griffin averages almost four assists per game on a, on a Pistons team that, doesn't really have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of production. You know, Jeremy Grant's the guy. Sadiq Bey is definitely a guy at the forward position that I think they are very intrigued by. Didn't get to see very much of Killian Hayes, which is a big disappointment in its own right. Um, but the fact that he's a legit facilitating guy at the four spot, I think is really interesting overall. Now, I think he's going to be a guy who comes off the bench and plays a little bit of point forward for them. I think that's going to be something that's really interesting for them, considering the fact that they'll be able to have a guy who they can play through on that side of the ball, uh, on, on the offensive side of the ball from a bench standpoint as like a sixth, seventh man, but as a dude who is their legit lead option. Um, I think the other thing is that Blake Griffin's playing with house money. He was bought out. You have to remember that he's paid. So he's just going for the chip now. He's not worried about trying to live up to a contract or anything of that, that caliber. Like he's a guy who now has his money pocketed and is playing for a Brooklyn team that is poised for a championship run. I think another thing that's really interesting about Blake Griffin is, you know, this is a guy who was a all NBA caliber player just two years ago. I've, I've been on the record many a time saying that this guy's a top 15 caliber player when healthy. I think that honestly, there came a certain point where I just thought that Blake Griffin was very disinterested being a Detroit Piston. And I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world to say. Sorry, Detroit fans, but I genuinely think that for a team that's looking to rebuild, and a team that kind of gave you the vibe that they were going to rebuild late last season and definitely early this year with the signing of Jeremy Grant at that same four, three, four position that like Blake Griffin plays. And then also doubling down on that by getting Sadiq Bay in the NBA draft prior to bringing in Jeremy Grant. I think the biggest thing with that is that you already could see that they were moving into another direction. And Blake being a guy who's already relatively injury prone, you're playing on a team that you know has no aspirations of being in the playoffs anytime soon. And you know that you're a player that has the has the kind of cachet to turn your team into a playoff caliber team. So I think now that he's on Brooklyn, I'm not saying he's about to be the 20 and 10 Blake Griffin of of old jumping over Kia's and crud. But I do think that Blake Griffin has the ability still to be a guy off the bench who could give them like 15 and seven. And that would mean a lot for this team. 
considering that they need more big man, they need more impact from the big man spot. So I think Blake Griffin is an interesting signing. I don't know if it's the best signing they could have gotten. I think they're still going to go after a true big man like Andre Drummond if he gets bought out, like JaVale McGee if he's the guy that's potentially moved on from. I think they might still try to go off after a legitimate big man down low who can be a rim defender and be some semblance of what Jared Allen was for them prior to moving him to the Cleveland Cavaliers. But I still think that Blake Griffin is a really interesting signing because as a second unit option, he could be a guy who could spell some serious minutes at the forward position and they could finally get some actual offensive production from the four or five that they haven't been getting with a guy like DeAndre Jordan, for example, or Jeff Green, who's been playing undersized as a four or five for them a lot over the last couple of weeks. I think it's it's interesting because like if they're they, if they are going to go after a guy like Andre Drummond starting caliber center, where does that leave DeAndre Jordan? Because he I mean he's starting now, but I guess he would be coming off the bench, which would mean what for Nicholas Claxton? Because I mean he's he's a guy who has a young who has a, a promising future as what you as what you said could be the next KD. Um I think that this it's interesting to think about considering that. Although I think the signing is weird and it's also interesting because we don't know what to, what sort of role he's going to get. I think it might be beneficial considering that this is a guy when healthy is a top 15 player. Like we've reiterated multiple times before. I think that when we think about Blake Griffin on the on the Brooklyn Nets, I don't know what is I don't know how he's going to do. I know yes, he, because he would I know because he was bought out that means his contract's paid out. He's just trying to get a ring. But I think that is it going to be beneficial to Brooklyn? What sort of role is he going to play? How are DeAndre Jordan's minutes going to get affected? Is he going to be coming off the bench? There's like a lot of questions with this move. But I actually that this could be a promising move. Um, I want to move on to one more thing before we move on to our midseason NBA awards. Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets because they have an NBA uh NBA MVP candidate in Nicole Jokic. Um, Jamal Murray starting to look like his old self in the NBA bubble. Same thing with Michael Porter Jr. They've also been able to turn around and win and turn it around and win some games. Jalen, has there been anything that's impressed you with the Denver Nuggets so far? I mean, besides Nicole Jokic, not really. I mean, and, and that's probably why I have them so low. Like, I mean, yes, they're still in my top 10. I'm not about to just disrespect Denver. They have an MVP caliber player on their team. I think that's part of the reason that we both have the Portland Trailblazers on there as well, despite the fact that we know as a team they're not, they're not super intimidating. I mean, Carmelo Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. are two guys that are being asked to be like second and third level options for them from from a scoring standpoint with CJ McCollum out but Damian Lillard is an MVP caliber player so it's kind of hard to just brush that off I think the same thing goes for Denver Nicole Jokic is an MVP MVP caliber player has Jamal Murray been consistent this year no has Michael Porter Jr. had the kind of pop that we were hoping he would have and what I guess we would consider is what his second official year no, not really. He's had a couple of standout games, but he had a couple of standout games last year, too. And we were on the hype train then thinking, oh, when this guy puts it together, he's going to be scary. When you look down the line, 
I feel like they're missing a guy like Jeremy Grant. It's really interesting. I don't think Jeremy Grant will be giving them 20 and 10 or 20 and 8 or whatever he's giving Detroit right now. But I think his minutes would have been really important considering that his minutes are going to guys like Paul Millsap, who is on, on his last hind legs. Him and the rest of that old Atlanta regime seem to just be falling apart. Al Horford's doing okay for OKC, but eh. George uh, uh, George Hill, um, that's, that, that's another guy that, that's an older guy for that team. The older regime for that, that squad is just disgusting. When you talk about other, other guys from that old Atlanta team, Jeff Teague, I'm done talking about Jeff Teague, honestly, at this point. Kyle Korver, don't even know where bro is. You know what I mean? Seems like that old Atlanta regime of guys who were just killing it. They're just on their last legs now. It's been a long time. So Paul Millsap getting those kind of minutes that Jeremy Grant would have been getting. I don't know. I'm not really super so hype. About, I'm not super hype about that. I think Monte Morris has played okay. Um, I think Will Barton is a guy who I want to see a lot more from. Um, I don't know. Denver is interesting. But like I said, at the end of the day, MVP caliber player, Michael Porter Jr., who's due to blow up eventually. It's just like if he can stay on the court, he's due to go crazy eventually. He's due. It's, it's just a fact. He's due. And Jamal Murray, he's been legit. Like you said, he's turned back time a little bit from uh, from the way things started out at the beginning of the year. He's looking a little bit more like Bubble Murray. I'm not so sure if he's ever going to be able to turn right back into that guy again. But unfortunately, or more so, I would say actually, fortunately for them, Nikola Jokic is the guy who steers the ship. And he statistically is the most clutch player in the NBA right now next to Damian Lillard. Statistically, he's literally the most clutch player in the NBA. At the center position, mind you, which is the most intriguing part about all of this, because front court players are not known for last-second shots, <laughs> closing games on 10-0 personal runs. They're not known for that in this NBA anymore. So because they have one of the clutchest players in the NBA – they're going to be in every game because they're within one or two possessions down the stretch of these games against top-level competition, especially in the Western Conference. They have a guy in Nikola Jokic who they can play through and close out games with. So Denver, Denver's ability to close games with Nikola Jokic has been the eye-popping thing for me. But other than that, their entire roster has just been really questionable because I don't think that their roster has played up to the talent that Nikola Jokic provides at the top of the totem pole, totem pole for their team. That 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 talent hasn't reverberated through the rest of the roster in a way that's brought the best out of these other guys. And I think that Denver is just treading water on the back of Nikola Jokic being as good as he is. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that when we're talking about Denver, it runs through Nikola Jokic. Um, I made this comparison on the last episode with the Los Angeles Clippers, where I feel like, you know, you, you were very, you were very high on the Los Angeles Clippers because you felt that they were a much better team than what I felt they would be. Like I thought they were a six seed or they were a projected to be a six seed. You thought that they were a top four seed. That's, I don't have that same feeling with Denver, but as the sixth team right now, I think they really have to have a strong second half of the season. I think it really starts with Jamal Murray. How is he going to be able to, um, how is he going to be able to have the same big games that he had in the bubble in the second half of the season? Michael Porter Jr., is he going to be a guy that we expect 
to pretty much blow up, like you mentioned. And is he, is it, is he going to be the guy that we expect to be the third option that we think he's going to be? I thought the third option was going to be Jeremy, Jeremy Grant before he re-signed with the, before he signed with the Pistons. But it's just interesting that, you know, Paul Millsap's getting the, getting the sort of minutes that he's getting because those minutes would have gone to Jeremy Grant. Um, and then if you just look outside of the four guys, I do think, you know, the depth at the guard position is interesting um, with Monte Morris, um, Will Barton and uh, Gary Harris as well. I know Gary Harris and Will Barton, they've struggled with injuries last season. I think, you know, getting them healthy this season, I think is a priority considering that you do need depth at the guard position, which is something that I feel like was, was detrimental to this team's success, especially in the Western conference finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. I think that this, this is a team I want to keep my eye out on. Now I I know eventually we're going to have on, there's a, there's a friend of ours, Eric uh, Himmelheber, who's a huge uh, Denver Nuggets fan. We're going to eventually have him on the podcast. He might, you know, enlighten us more onto what's going on with the, with the Denver Nuggets. But I think it really just falls on the fact that Nikola Jokic is most likely – Nikola Jokic is their best player right now, and Nikola Jokic is an MVP candidate. And there's a good chance that he'll win the MVP, especially considering, you know – the last time a big man won the MVP was 2006 with uh, Dirk Nowitzki. And, you know, we talk about how great of a season Dirk had that year. It's, it almost is very similar to what Nikola Jokic is doing right now. And, it, and it's a testament to the evolution of the big man in the NBA. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that would have been so interesting and still is on the table, but seems very impossible at this point, considering both of these guys became all-stars and you'd be dumb as bricks to trade an all-star player at the trade deadline post-all-star break. But it would be so interesting if we could have seen this team or if we can see this team with a guy like Zach Levine, who I hate to mention in this conversation, or a guy like Bradley Beal, who have been mentioned in conjunction with the Denver Nuggets, even a guy like Drew Holiday, who unfortunately, you know, ended up going to the Bucks instead of the instead of the Nuggets. And I thought he would have been better with the Nuggets, but he's still doing relatively well with um, Milwaukee. What they could have looked like or who they could have truly been this far into the season had they had guys like that playing the minutes that Gary Harris plays instead of having Gary Harris. Like, that would be the thing for me that would really tell me a whole lot more about, about the Denver Nuggets. Or as, I mean, in terms of seeing them as, like, playoff contenders, legit championship contenders, those three guys are guys that are that if you tell me they're the substitute for Gary Harris's minutes, I would have so much more faith in them as a team. But because it's Gary Harris, who did play relatively well, don't get it twisted, he, he played very well in that series against the Clippers for that big time upset that has everybody sleeping on the Clippers this season that Gary Harris had a lot to do with that. But I think when we're talking about becoming a legit championship caliber team, Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, Drew Holiday, those are guys at that two guard position that I feel like next to a guy like Nikola Jokic, next to a guy like Jamal Murray even make this team significantly better in a way where that's when you view them as a legitimate threat. But without that kind of contention in the backcourt next to Jamal Murray, 
there's still a team that I feel like is going to be in the middle of the pack and is going to be relying a lot on their bench to make up a lot of minutes that typically a star caliber player would just simply be able to make up all by themselves. So moving on now to our midseason NBA awards predictions. So once again, we're going to go over, once again, we're going to talk about the MVP, the rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, sixth man of the year, and most improved player. Jalen, who do you believe is the MVP candidate? Mine is Joel Embiid. It's been that way since the beginning of the season. It's very hard to be able to whiff off of that for me. Um, I know that earlier on in the year I was torn between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid with LeBron James as a, as a heavy favorite for that third spot. I just think that the only thing that can hurt Joel Embiid in the second half of the season from winning the MVP is if he gets injured or they start putting him on load management for the playoffs. If he starts hurting his case by not playing games, then Nikola Jokic and LeBron James can easily, easily usurp him. But I think as long as Joel, uh, Joel Embiid is consistent in terms of playing games and playing at the caliber that he's playing right now, playing at the level where he is a walking 20 and 10 guy that can give you right before the All-Star break, he dropped 40 and he can do that regularly. He's also a guy who's arguably top three, top five in the defensive player of the year um, race as well. The fact that he's doing it on both sides of the ball right now, he's so elite offensively as, at that center position, something that only a guy like Nikola Jokic can arguably, you know, put his numbers next to this season. I genuinely think that Joel Embiid is holding a spot. And the, unfortunately, the only thing that's holding him back from potentially just sealing the deal is the one thing that he struggles the most most with, and that's injury. Because if he gets injured, I don't think this is a situation like Christian Wood, where I think Christian Wood, for the most improved player award, can still play himself into being that lead candidate because he had such a such a blockbuster come out party for Houston that when he comes back healthy, if he's even 70 to 80 percent of what he was before getting injured, he's going to hold this top spot at most improved player. I think for Joel Embiid, because the MVP race is so tight. Ryan, we've had this conversation off camera. This race can go 10, 15 deep, legitimately. So I think that Joel Embiid's injury history is going to play against them in a way where the only or could play against them in a way, I'll say, that can make this a lot more interesting than it already is. But I'm I'm banking on Joel Embiid being healthy. He's had a really good year so far, hasn't missed a ton of time due to injury this year. I think that he holds on to the spot because he plays games. If we're talking value on on the Philadelphia 76ers, like Joel Embiid is a very valuable player to them. I think when we're talking about his injury history, that's something that is very scary when you think about it because he has a history of injuries. And the only thing that's really holding him back is injuries. Um I think if he continues to play the way he's been playing, he he's going to win the MVP. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But the thing is, you know, injuries and load management, like you mentioned, if the Sixers, if the 76ers sit him, then that's going to hurt his case. If he gets injured, possibly out for the season, that's going to hurt his case. There's, there's too many, there's a lot of factors at play for, 
whether or not Embiid wins the MVP, which is why my MVP candidate is Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets. 27 points a game on uh, 56.7% shooting from the field, 41.8% shooting from three, 11 rebounds a game, eight or close to nine assists a game, also averaging close to two steals a game as well. Nikola Jokic, if we talk about valuable, this is another guy who is very valuable to his team. He's also very close to the 50-40-90 club. I think if he makes a couple of free throws, he'll he'll make the 50-40-90 club. But he's this is a guy who is easily 54, who, who's a easily a 50-40-90 guy. He's also close to averaging a triple double, which honestly, the last player, the last player overall to do that was Russell Westbrook. But when's the last time a big man has averaged a, a triple double? I think that's that's the other interesting thing. I think the only thing that's going to hurt him is his team. Um, I think what what's gonna what's going to benefit Joel Embiid is his team. If you look at where um, Philadelphia stands in the Eastern Conference, they're first place. If you look at where Denver stands, not first pit, not first place. They're in the bottom four of the Western Conference. That's going to hurt him. I think that I, I really hope they only look at the most valuable player and not looking at the most valuable team. If they give it to Embiid, it's, it's got to be based on his performance. It cannot be based on the team that he's on. If they give it to Jokic, it, it's based on performance. If the Nuggets make, make a, if, the, if Denver makes a late season push, then maybe it's, then maybe he has a better case. But right now, Nikola Jokic has has to average a triple double for him to really secure the MVP award. I agree with the triple double statement. I think the I think the only thing that could really, if these guys are going head to head, they both play the same amount of games in the second half of the year. The only things that would take the take this award away from them would be. Uh, a crazy effort from LeBron James in the second half of the year without Anthony Davis on top of the fact that obviously he has the narrative vote off rip, you know, year 18 and everything under the sun. But Nikola Jokic, the thing that hurts him the most is their team success. But I think if you do that anomaly like thing that, that West, that Westbrook did averaging a triple double, I know triple doubles aren't as cool anymore, (laughs) because Russell Westbrook kind of zapped the magic out of getting those considering he's made it kind of consistent. He's already like second or third all time in wizards history in triple doubles. And he hasn't even been there that long, but I'll say this much. I think that when you look at what's going on with them as a team, if they can go on a run and he's averaging a triple double on the, on the way through, I mean, it's a tough race, Ryan. It's a tough race at the top. So transitioning to something that doesn't really seem like a tough race, let's talk about the rookie of the year race. Jalen, is it clear that Lamella Ball is the favorite? Ryan, I'm going to read a quote that Draymond Green put out not even an hour ago from when we're recording this on first take this afternoon. Lamella Ball is a problem. End quote. Couldn't have said it any better myself, if we're going to be honest. LaMelo Ball has been dynamic since the first day stepping on the NBA court. And honestly, 
He's only lived up to the hype even further since being put into the starting lineup, something that was kind of an odd situation to begin with. We always kind of thought that being the third overall pick, we kind of were waiting for when he was going to be the, the um, going to get the chance to take minutes away from a Terry Rozier, for example. We were waiting for that time for him to potentially take some minutes away from a Devontae Graham, considering where he was drafted. We just knew that as a third overall pick in the NBA draft, that eventually he was going to get some lead guard minutes. And since then, the dude has been playing out of his mind. I mean, it's ridiculous. James Wiseman's been out for the last couple of weeks due to injury. Anthony Edwards is playing on the worst team in the NBA. Emmanuel quickly is a six-man-of-the-year candidate, but he's a six-man-of-the-year candidate nonetheless, and nothing really more than that. Tyrese Halliburton has been a guy who's been really good for the Kings, but they're the Kings. Sadiq Bey has been really good for Detroit, but who's talking about Detroit? You know what I'm saying? We're talking about, When we're talking about the rookie of the year race, we're talking about the only rookie in this entire draft class that is both playing big minutes for their team and a, being a legitimate contributing option on a playoff team. Emmanuel quickly is probably the second person on that list as a guy who's playing significant minutes and has significant impact. Ryan, we both know Emmanuel quickly is not winning the rookie of the year over LaMelo Ball. We just know. So with that being the circumstance, LaMelo Ball is surefire the pick at Rookie of the Year, and it's kind of hard to dispute it no matter what any of these other guys do because their teams are just not good enough. And he's playing on a playoff caliber team on top of doing what he's doing in a very unprecedented set of situations considering they didn't get training camps. They, didn't get, they don't get these practice times. These rookies are in the most disadvantageous situation that any NBA rookie has ever had, considering that they came into this league with a lot of things that a lot of other rookies don't. And LaMelo Ball has shown that he doesn't need them. So just to, just to give you an idea of what his effect has been like as a starter, in 15 games as a starter, he's averaging close to 21 points, close to seven rebounds, six point, or close to seven assists, 6.2 rebounds, and close to two steals. His shooting splits are 46, close to 45, and close to 85. Impressive. That that's impressive. Now, I understand that like LaMelo Ball is, you know, LaMelo Ball. He's on Charlotte. He's going to probably take a lot of minutes away from Ter- from uh, Terry Rozier. Already kind of taking minutes away from Devontae Graham. But if we think about how how he's improved this season, efficient score, improving on his shooting, improving on improving on his shot and improving on his shot selection, considering that you know that was one of the weakest points of his game. He's also a very solid rebounder. He's a very very solid rebounder for his position, for at the guard position. And, you know, he, he's a sneaky defender as well. We already mentioned he's, he's averaging close to two steals a game. And we know that LaMelo is going to change the league. This is a guy who's, who's, who's going to be a cornerstone of the league eventually. 
especially with guys like Zion, RJ, John Moran. This he's in that category. But this race, unfortunately, unfortunately for Anthony Edwards, unfortunately for Tyrese Halliburton, unfortunately for our Maryland, for our favorite Maryland guy, Emmanuel Quickly, it's not close. Not even close, bro. Hate to say it, but this is one of the this is one of the more underwhelming races in the NBA right now in terms of the chase for an NBA award. Very underwhelming. The mellow ball is making this look too easy. So moving on now to our defensive player of the year awards. Jalen, who do you give the award to? So I know that the argument is always going to lean in favor of defensive guys off rip the guys that pop to your mind right from the beginning of the, the, the conversation. You would go Rudy Gobert, easy, easy, completely understandable too. It's very hard to argue with it. Rudy Gobert has been very legit on top of the fact that, I mean, he's anchoring one of the top defenses in defenses in the NBA as pretty much the guy that they run everything through on the offensive end as well as a guy who gets a lot of screen actions and a lot of things. Rudy Gobert has a lot more of an imprint on the Utah Jazz than people give him credit for. And so I know that it's easy to say that Rudy Gobert is the defensive player of the year because of what he's been doing. But he has a lot of competition with guys like Ben Simmons, Miles Turner, and even Ben Simmons' teammate in Joel Embiid. But let me just read this off for you real quick when it comes to Ben Simmons defensively, right? The dude is averaging 1.6 steals per game, just under a block per game, and has been one of the better on-ball defenders one through four in the entire league. This is a dude who can pretty much switch on to anybody and has been able to hold his own as a legitimate defensive anchor for this Philadelphia 76ers team that is full of offensive options. Nobody's looking at Tobias Harris as some world-beating defender. Danny Green is okay as a defender, but he's not the guy that he used to be in San, Ant San Antonio, for example. I wouldn't even say he's the guy that he was for Toronto two seasons ago. Um... When you look at overall their production around him, the offenses came from a lot of other guys. Ben Simmons has just been his normal self offensively. 16, uh, 16 points per game, 7.6 assists, 7.9 rebounds. That's pretty much in conjunction to what he normally does. He's about a 16, 7, and 7 guy. He's been that way since his rookie season. But defensively, he's improved as a Swiss Army knife guy who is being able to provide offensively while going on the other side of the court and guarding your best player. I think that, that there's some kind of cachet that has to come in that, that has to come with that in today's league where guys are not taking on the best, the, the best player of the opposing team from a defensive standpoint. I'll give you a perfect example. Giannis Antetokounmpo was a guy who was who won the defensive player of the year last year. I would argue that I I think far and away that Anthony Davis should have been the guy who won the defensive player of the year last year. And one of the bigger things that came with that was not only do I feel like Anthony Davis was a better rim defender, he had way more blocks and way more steals than Giannis Antetokounmpo did. Go back and look at the statistics for it. But also he anchored one of the top defenses in the league as a guy who was covering the one through four legitimately. 
Giannis Antetokounmpo was not taking on the best defensive challenges. Giannis Antetokounmpo was a guy, even earlier this season, people were discussing the fact that he was running away from matchups against guys like Kawhi Leonard, for example. And he was strictly trying to guard the four, which I think in that game was Marcus Morris for most of that matchup. Ben Simmons is about that action. He he is about that smoke, and he really wants to be the defensive player of the year. And funny enough, he and Joel Embiid have both been campaigning for themselves to win the defensive player of the year all season. So much so that Doc Rivers even chimed in, and he believes that Ben Simmons, out of the two, should be the defensive player of the year based on how they played so far this season. So I know he's just going to bat for his guys, but – they both have legitimate arguments, although I feel like Ben Simmons, because of his versatility, he's just the overall better defender. So I think it's Ben Simmons. I have to agree with Ben Simmons. I, I know that Ruby Gobert is always associated with being the defensive player of the year because, honestly, he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. And he's really one of the reasons why Utah has been such a successful defensive team because of how great he is on the defensive side, how much of a defensive anchor he's been. But Ben Simmons, the, this year, Ben Simmons is one of the most versatile defenders in the NBA, a guy who can cover multiple positions on the floor. And just to tell you like how good of a defender he is, Jalen, you remember when Philadelphia played Dallas and Luka Doncic was held to six points in that game and four turnovers. Who was the guy guarding Luka Doncic throughout the most of the game? Ben Simmons. And ben Simmons is a guy that is locking up defenders more than we thought he would. I mean, we knew his defense was good coming out of college. We didn't know he was going to be this good of a defensive player this season. Now, here's, here's the thing that I really want to look out for. If Ben Simmons does this in the playoffs, Brooklyn Cooper, if Ben Simmons does this in the playoffs, this team is going to win the NBA championship. Ben Simmons as one of the great defensive anchors of this team, along with Joel Embiid, you pair those two guys up, that's going to be a problem for teams like Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, Miami, New York, every team in the Eastern Conference. Considering how great Philadelphia has been this season and how great of a defender Ben Simmons is becoming, there's no reason why he shouldn't get the award this year. Yeah, I got Ben Simmons, bro. I think that Rudy Gobert is legit. I think that um, Miles Turner has been really good as well so far this year. But Ben Simmons, man, the versatility is ridiculous. He's definitely one of the primary defenders overall across the board for Philly. He's a big factor as to why they're a top-level defense in the league right now. Hard to argue, man. His teammate Joel Embiid is playing out of his mind as well, which is another really interesting thing because Joel Embiid could be the guy next to Giannis Antetokounmpo that goes for MVP and defense this year the same way Joel did. I mean, the same way Giannis did last season but nonetheless I just still think that with Ben Simmons's versatility I just somehow I, I I somehow can't lean off of him just being the better overall defender out of all these guys he, he's doing it at a really high level and he's covering some of the best guys in the league so moving on to the sixth man of the year award 
Jalen, is this another unanimous race with Jordan Clarkson winning it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really simple. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. You want to know why? It's, it's really easy. He has not started a single game this year. He's averaging better numbers this year than he has in any other season that he's been in the, in the NBA. The dude has been in the NBA for nine years. He has started for the Lakers. He has played good minutes for the Cleveland Cavaliers once upon a time. But his best season has been this year with the Utah Jazz. Career high, 17.9 points per game. Career high, 4.0 rebounds per game. He's got 2.3 assists, which is just about where he's normally at overall. When you look at him from a three-point standpoint, he's shooting 37% from three. That's the third best of his career so far this season, uh, so far in the nine in the nine years that he's been in the in the league. 44.7% from the field. That that's about where he's been career-wise. I mean, and he's playing on the, the best team in the Western Conference so far through the first half of the season. So who's playing better than Jordan Clarkson, bro? Like who from, coming off the bench, there's a lot of guys that are playing very well. Sadiq Bay is a guy, rookie who's been playing really well coming off the bench for him. He's going to start getting a lot more starting minutes with the way he's been playing, especially for a Pistons team that's just trying to see what they got. Emmanuel quickly has been really good, but he's splitting a lot of minutes with a lot of different guards coming off that bench. So it's going to be hard for him to win the sixth man of the year, even though I think he's been really good coming off the bench. Montrez Harrell is a guy who's been really good coming off the bench for the Lakers, but he ain't no Jordan Clarkson. So, I mean, hey, dude, Jordan Clarkson has been a beast this year for Utah, and he's a big reason as to why they're as good as they are to go. He's the guy off the bench that makes them look dangerous, looks look even more dangerous next to guys like Mitchell, Gobert, Bogdanovich, Conley, Ingles. He's that other guy who makes Utah look as well-rounded and dangerous as they are. And that's the reason why we have them as a top two team in our power rankings, because they're stacked, dude. <laughs> one through seven, one through eight, you're not messing with Utah, and Jordan Clarkson is a big cog in that system. Jalen, you remember when Jordan Clarkson was first traded to the Utah Jazz, and Utah, correct me if I'm wrong, they went on they and they won like 18 straight games. They did it multiple times. They've won, they had multiple double-digit near 20, uh, 20 game in a row stretches multiple times like in this in the, well not near 20 they had they had two sets of times where they got at least 10 there was one where they got nearly 20 and there was another one where i think they got very close to about 15 i think it was so they yeah they've been putting stretches together like nobody's business but just to talk about how great of a player jordan clarkson has become averaging close to 18 points off the bench He's one of the most efficient shooters coming off the bench on a team that has been efficiently shooting the ball from the field and from three with guys like Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Mike Conley, who just became an all-star for the first time in his career. Other guys like Bojan Bogdanovic. I expected Bojan Bogdanovic to be the guy that really helps this team succeed on both sides of the floor. Joe Ingles, who's been shooting the ball well. Royce O'Neal shooting the ball well. This is a team, like we mentioned, this is this is the most 
this is the most loaded team in the Western Conference. We said about this about the Clippers last year. This is what I think the Clippers could have been this year. This is a team that is loaded with talent and can make a a very and and, and can make a very um that this team could be very dangerous in the Western Conference. I think that this team could make a run to the Western Conference Finals. If we're thinking about like how good he's been on both sides of the floor, think about when this trade first happened. They traded uh they traded uh Clarkson from Cleveland to Utah. Or th- this is th- this is this is the biggest steal of the past 2 years. This has been like one of the biggest like trades in the NBA that not a lot of people have been talking about considering that, you know, it was just Jordan Clarkson at the time. Look at what Jordan Clarkson has become now with the Utah Jazz. This may be one of the biggest trading steals in NBA history. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about the circumstances of like what they were able to do in a trade like that, because I think that's probably the most interesting thing about it is the fact that they were able, I mean, the the biggest piece, so to speak, right, in that trade was when they moved Dante Exum. That was the part of the trade that, like, was even notable overall in the exchange was Dante Exum, a dude who didn't really play very much for them as it was and a guy who wasn't very productive in his career with Utah at all, really. He was a guy that suffered a lot of injuries, still isn't really doing very much in the NBA as it is. And he's still riding off potential. Jordan Clarkson is a guy who's just been waiting to get the right opportunity, considering that he was once once with the Luke Walton Lakers. And we already have our running joke about how every single player that's played under Luke Walton gets better once they leave Luke Walton. Jordan Clarkson is one of those players next to Brandon Ingram, who was a first-time All-Star. Julius Randle, who became a first-time All-Star. Jordan Clarkson, boom, right there in the mixture with all of that, as well as a guy, D'Angelo Russell, who became a a first-time All-Star post-Luke Walton. Jordan Clarkson is right there in that mix with those guys. I don't know if he's ever going to become an All-Star, but he sure as hell has his name at the top of the ballot when it comes to this six-man-of-the-year race because – he has just been a problem. He's having the best year of his career, hands down. And he's doing it for one of the best teams in the NBA, something he hasn't been able to say in the past with the other teams he's been playing with. So before we get to our question of the day for our fans, let's get to this last award. A very loaded category, most improved player. Jalen, who do you believe wins the most improved player award? So this one's a toughie, but I think that I think Christian Wood comes back and takes the award the way we knew that he with the way we know he can, especially with the way that he came out gangbusters to start the season. I think the injury is going to hurt them, but I think we also learned that the Rockets really, 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 really needed Christian Wood on the floor because they have been booty butt cheeks since he got injured. And they, they went on a 10 game losing streak before the all-star break, which is just, Super sad to see. I think it was actually 12 games or so that they lost before the All-Star break, which was really bad going into this time frame. But they're getting him back, and I think that he's going to come back, light a spark 
for that team that they desperately need to get back to being scrappy a little bit. The Rockets will be really interesting with Kenyon Martin Jr. and Kevin Kevin Porter Jr. both getting called up from the G League. They're going to be a really interesting team in the second half of the year. I think if they make a move where maybe it includes P.J. Tucker or Victor Oladipo or both of them, this could be a team that gets really young and maybe gets very interestingly exciting with a lot of high-flying guys and a lot of different prospects to take a look at. But I think Christian Wood, if he comes back, he said he's about 80% right now. I think if he comes back within the next week or two and goes ballistic like he did to start off the year, his story along with his play warrant him to be the most improved player of the year because the jump is ridiculous. The story of his of his journey to this point is tear-jerking for most NBA fans. And the dude has just been a straight-up hooper. And if it weren't for that injury, I think he would have been a legit all-star in uh, a legit all-star this season. He was eighth in voting at one point in the front court for the Western Conference, despite missing the games that he missed. So I think I think it's Christian Wood. Yeah, and Christian Wood has been an all-star this season, and he he should have been an all-star this year. I think the way that he's been playing, most improved player, I think is good. I think I think that's a good award for him. He's going to be an MVP one day. And we said it first here on the Hoop Talk podcast. He's going to be an MVP one day. Um, I like that. You know, I know I talked about uh, when we were mentioning who uh, hot takes. I think Colin Sexton was going to be, you know, most improved player. I thought he had, he had a great chance of winning most improved player this year. I have to stick with it, Jalen. I have got to stick with my man, Colin Sexton, as the MVP. Now, if we think about Colin Sexton for a second, you know, first season, he averages 16.7 points game, 43% shooting from the field, 40% from three. Not bad. Not bad. He also averages close to three, three rebounds, and then he also averages three assists. 2019. He takes a, a slightly bigger jump, cl- averaging close to 21 points a game on 47% shooting from the field, 38% shooting from three, three rebounds, three assists. This year, he averages 21 points or he averages 24 points a game on close to 49% shooting from the field, 40% shooting from three, averaging close to three rebounds. And takes a pretty big jump in assists. He's averaging four and a half assists a game. Just to look at the effect that he's had to close out the month of March. 39 points against the Rockets on 12 of 20 shooting from the field. Four of eight shooting from three. Three rebounds, eight assists, two steals. This is in February? This is in March. First game in March. Oh, first game in March. Got you. Okay. Second game in March, right before the All-Star break. Against the Indiana Pacers, 32 points, 12 of 25 shooting from the field, 2 of 5 shooting from 3, 4 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 steals. He is the most underrated point guard in the league right now. Not a lot of people are talking about him. I know because he's on the Cleveland Cavaliers, who once upon a time, Jalen and I thought we're going to be a playoff team. Might not be the case now. (laughs) But can we please talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, his point guard, Colin Sexton, more often. 
he's he's well deserved for this award. I've campaigned that I've campaigned for this guy to win the award for months. Can we just give the award to him? I know he's worked hard for it too. I know Christian Wood has worked hard for it too, which makes it even more difficult. But can we please give the award to my man Colin Sexton? Because he wasn't an all-star this year. Can he just be the most improved player? Can he? Hey, man, it's hard to argue against it. I mean, I think Christian Wood has had a little bit of a better year. But, I mean, Colin Sexton hasn't missed nearly as many games. And both of their teams aren't great. (laughs) So there's that. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I think that the most improved player race is arguably one of the most interesting races in there. I think that the fact that Luka Doncic came in third last season makes me feel like Jalen Brown arguably could be somebody that's in this conversation just because of the overall play that he's had so far this season. And the fact that he's been able to take the mantle as a top two guy on the Boston Celtics, arguably their best player in some people's eyes. And he's been doing it with a lot of injuries around him on the Boston Celtics. Obviously, a lot of people would say that Jeremy Grant getting his own team for the Pistons has allowed him to show off his true talent. And he's really jumped up in a significant way. Christian Wood, obviously, is a guy who bounced around the league and finally found a home in Houston. And he did get injured. But before that, you could not tell that boy nothing. And then, like you said, Colin Sexton has been a dog for Cleveland so far this year. And, I mean, he was arguably one of those guys that was definitely at the top of the list as an all-star snub, potentially, along guy, alongside guys like, for example, you mentioned at the top of the pod, uh, in uh, Trey Young for Atlanta, who was another guy that he was in competition with as a potential all-star candidate. So, it's, I mean, next to MVP, this is the second best race by far, like without question. The defensive player of the year gave, um, race is very interesting, but the race for most improved player, it, I mean, it might even be more interesting than MVP, honestly. It, it could potentially be more interesting than even that. So, hey, I guess keep the campaign for Colin Sexton going because, I mean, he's he's been legit this year. He's been a, He's been a real menace. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe will win at all of these awards? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Also, follow us on social media at the Hoop Talk pod and make sure that you, know, you comment on our podcast. Make sure we always want to hear your feedback. Um, always comment on our post. You guys can give us suggestions as well. Thank you guys for listening to all of our episodes and we'll see you guys next episode.